White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the The Blue Blue and and White White Brothers. Brothers. Two brothers. Two takes. One team. Hey, bro. It's uh, it's a Monday, uh, December 5th. We've just come out of championship weekend. And aside from the bye week, it's the first time in three months we haven't had Penn State football to watch. Uh, but we did get to watch some interesting football games. And then, of course, yesterday, Sunday afternoon, we learned all about Penn State's uh, end-of-year bowl and all of that. Um, uh I'm just wondering before we get into all that, how are you doing? And did you enjoy the weekend? And did you enjoy the smorgasbord of championship football that was laid out uh, for you? The weekend of of football was great. It started with a, a, a an amazing upset of USC Friday night, which we'll get into later, which obviously helped secure the Penn State smelling more roses than they were already smelling. Um, and yeah, it was just a, that was a great game, just without the implications that you know, uh, you know, with with regard to Penn State's bowl chances uh that was a a utah looked like a not like a three loss team against usc and usc looked overwhelmed and they battered and bruised them it was fun um but you know we're here we're here to talk about (laughs) penn state football um and you know it's been a a, an up and down roller coaster since penn state beat michigan state and climbed three spots to number eight only to see of course we didn't play this weekend and you know we'll see we'll, we'll cover the cfp rankings in, yeah. in a later uh segment <laughs> yeah. here but it's just been a, you know it isn't the kind of season or postseason for penn state currently that that we're just totally unplugged and like checked out uh we're certainly in in the mix of a lot yeah, of situations we, we have here. some things to pay attention to <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, for me, um, I, I actually didn't watch a whole lot of football this weekend. Um, partly, uh, we got things going on for the kids. Like I went down to uh, Annapolis, the state capital of Maryland, and got to watch my daughter Angelina sing in the capital. Oh, Rotunda I didn't even know. That's amazing. Choir on Saturday. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. I got to got to enjoy that. Um, my son Juan, um, he is in a uh, uh, dance at his school, and um, he had his concert this weekend as well. So, um, got to do a lot of fun family things. Um, the main football I watched this weekend was actually watching the U.S. Oh, yeah. lose to the Netherlands in the World Cup, and that kind of started <laughs> off my weekend on a l- bit well, of a it's sour funny You note, mentioned but- that because you know my my Friday evening was watching the Pac-12 championship game, and then I went to bed at a decent time after. Afterwards, here in Mountain Time Zone in Colorado, and woke up with a 6:30 a.m. alarm to then head to a buddy's uh, to to with my roommate Brett. We we went to go watch the um, the World Cup uh, lose, of course. Kind of, I don't know if I would say embarrassingly, but it was a bit of a letdown, you know, um, and. Yeah, especially after but, what a good I, run that we had, were. We had were been on. up watching sports from you know eight a.m. our time, and and I was up watching sports until the, yeah. the basically the um the ACC game concluded. Uh, so which is a full day of sports, and man, God bless all, all the ladies who have you know men in their lives. That <laughs> it's been a long season, uh, especially for um Pennsylvania fans. Like uh, you know the the the, Philly, the Philadelphia Phillies were you know making a World Series run. Um, 
Um, the Eagles are undefeated. You know, and even yesterday, me and my roommate, who's an Eagles fan, we went over to a, a buddy's house who hosted a Philly Eagles uh, Philly cheesesteak catered event for the game yesterday. And we it was a beautiful 54 degree Dang, sunny day nice. in Denver, and we were eating uh, made to order, made from scratch rolls and like a top of the line beef shaved. Like I mean, this was just a smorgasbord of Philadelphia stuff. So, anyways, our ladies in our lives have had a long season of of sports when you factor in the World Cup and and everything like that. So, <laughs> you know, all that's kind of a uh, tough to stomach. But I'm like a fanatic of all of it. I watch. All of it, all the time, and uh, and I should probably start making money off of it. I'm going to keep being this fanatical somehow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've got the uh, we've got the format. <laughs> yeah. We just need some income off of the podcast, Precisely. I guess. <laughs> If you would like naming rights oh, speaking, to the, our podcast. Speaking of that, <laughs> speaking of of, of uh, trying Ooh. to make money, and we're not actively trying to make money off this podcast. This is a labor of love, truly, and um, which has been generations in the making. And, um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, but, you know, w- what we don't do too often is try and get our listeners, however many of you there are out there that love this, that, that enjoy this format of two fans, two brothers coming together, talking Penn State football, talking the blue and white, talking college football. Um, please, if you could go ahead, review and rate us. Um, you know, write in as often as you can, and 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 do that, and share it. Everything you can do to possibly get us some more eyeballs, we would really appreciate that. We we don't have a a, a parent company filtering money and advertising dollars to us. We're just kind of the mom and pop, or the bro and bro, if you will, uh, shop here of the <laughs> Penn State faithful. Uh, you know, podcasting. <laughs> Yeah, along those lines, um, one of the things, uh, you know, it may not be transparent, but Tom and I actually talk about how we can make the podcast better. And we are um, actively, you know, at from time to time in conversations uh, about that. Well, and, and for um, example, I'm getting a new you know, laptop today. This is a like a 10-year-old laptop I've been using for this, and it makes a lot of noise, and it's, it's just not ideal, and I'm trying to upgrade and make it better, and that costs money. And, you know, we just want to make it better for you folks while we also continue to enjoy it for you folks. Yeah. So along those lines, um, you know, it's occurred to us that um, a lot of you are regular listeners and faithful listeners. I know Tom and I joke that we don't have listeners, but actually that's <laughs> yeah. not true. Uh, we know we've got a, a pretty faithful, loyal following. And um, and so as we go into our off season over the next month or so, uh, if you wanted to write in with any suggestions or um, support or things that you love about the show that you'd like to make sure that we, you know, keep doing or things that you would like us to maybe consider uh, adjusting or things like that, let us know. We'd love to just hear some feedback from, from you all. Uh, you know, we may or may not take your feedback, but we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. We may or may not take it, but we'd love to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No guarantees, but I can guarantee you that we won't take your feedback if you don't write in. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, um, as we're going through that process over the next few weeks and months, uh, please feel free to write in and let us know what you like about the show, things you'd like us to maybe consider doing differently or ideas you have for us. Uh, blue and white brothers at gmail.com. Um, so with that, um, let's. We're, this is going to be a different show because, of course, we didn't have a Penn State game this past weekend. We don't have a Penn State game coming up this coming weekend. Um, and so we wanted to just take this time to just talk about um, some bigger things, some bigger topics, things going on, um, you know, around the program and around college football. Um, so, 
here's the outline of the show today, and um, then we'll get into it. The, the first is we're going to just talk about uh, Penn State's bowl game uh, that we've been sent back to the Rose Bowl. Sent I mean, back after exciting. six years, about by the way. It feels like it's not been that long, but it's uh, been six years. Better, more than, more than half a decade. So we'll talk about, you know... <laughs> how we got here and what it means for Penn State. We'll, we're not really going to do a full preview of um, the matchup against Utah, but we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, we're going to talk about the rest of the championship week game results, talk a little bit about that, our impressions, um, talk about the college football rankings and sort of our impressions of the committee's work and and sort of what that means. Um, another thing that sort of happened in the last week or so is that we finally got confirmation that the Rose bowl agreed uh, to move up the transition to a 12 team format. Instead of waiting to 2026, it's going to be happening just over a year in 2024. That's big news. We'll talk about that. Sorry. I'm, I'm very eager. I've had two cups of coffee um, ready to talk about everything at full length. I know we, we we got a lot to talk about. Um, We're also, we're going to talk a little bit about um, sort of Penn state's off season. Some of the news we know as it's shaping up in terms of players um, staying and players leaving. Um, That's obviously going to be an ongoing unfolding story, but we'll talk a little bit about that, what we know right now. And then finally, we're going to talk about the wider college football uh, landscape as it uh, relates to um, NIL, name, image, likeness, the portal, coaching changes, and things like that. So a lot to talk about. um, And um, yeah, let's dive right in, bro, and talk about that. The big news of the weekend for any Penn State football fan, which is that Penn State is smelling. Wait, is this a news and notes episode here? Segment is is, this I, the, is it the whole well, thing? Well, news and like notes just, episode. I'm not in it unless I hear it. Can I we can't. Do, should not, we do that? Should we do the preview music? I can't music? have. It's like a binky. I need my binky before I my my news and notes <laughs> gets me in the mood. Okay, <laughs> let's hear it. All right, friends, this episode is entirely news and notes. That's not so true. Here you go. Let's open it up. News and notes. News and notes. Yeah, and by the way, Andy, you misled the listeners. It's not entirely. We have a mailbag today, too. Don't you dare. That's we true. have another That's little true. jingle. We will have a mailbag. An Andy entry. Gathman original jingle that has just been, you know, a fan favorite for sure. Um, all right, let's That's true. So you you will hear the mailbag <laughs> the mailbag intro later in this episode. But for right yeah. now, news and notes, um, which is the bulk of what we'll be talking about today. Um yeah, bro, Rose Bowl. What do you think, man? Well, I mean, it was like it, it basically went from oh my gosh, we're gonna be getting the cotton bowl. Everyone's projecting cotton bowl, everyone's projecting Tulane, and none of us were feeling that in any way, shape, or form. But much like how a singer crescendos into a loud, boisterous, full, you know, voice screaming note, you know, it was just building and building that there was momentum, um, you know, heading towards the Rose Bowl way for Penn State. And, you know, I, I kind of believe even if Ohio State didn't get in, like, you know, if USC had beaten Utah, I still think it was it was bound to happen that the Rose Bowl, um, you know, whoever they are, a committee or a board, I have no idea. But they were going to select Penn State over Ohio State for two different reasons. One was that, I, you know, allegedly Ohio State asked 
the Rose Bowl not to select them. And I don't know which came first, chicken or the egg. It was was um, was the the Rose Bowl already not going to take Ohio State because they didn't sell out their you know allotment of tickets last year. It was rumored that they only sold sixty percent of their tickets to the Utah game last year. And of course, there were going to definitely be, you know, major uh, Ohio State um, opt outs if it wasn't going to be them in the CFP. CJ Stroud wasn't was non-committal. I'm sure there were going to be a, you know, a plethora of other players that were going to hold out. So that it was it was looking like Penn State <laughs> yeah, anyways. Right. And and you know, I think this at least this worked out for Penn State. I don't know if it works out for Penn State in the in the grand scheme of like, okay, now Penn State's two biggest rivals in their division, if divisions carry on for another season, this is how it's going to be at least. Um, But even still, in the Big Ten, our two biggest rivals are both in the CFP this year, and we lost to both of them. And are they, are, you know, this, this yeah. gives Ohio State new life into the CFP, you know, because the whole that whole fan base was distraught. They were like, fire Ryan Day. Like, everyone was saying, fire Ryan Day, fire Ryan Day, fire Ryan Day. Media and fans, um, you know, alumni, all of it, you know, so... You know, if if Ryan Day goes on to you know win the whole thing, I'm sure everybody will shut their darn mouths about fire Ryan Day. But I hope you know Georgia completely embarrasses them, and it just helps us. Well, hold, hold on, like, I know, I'm on. off. Like, I'm off. I'm so, off track. I'm off track. Way <laughs> off topic. Like I asked you, what did the Rose Bowl mean to you for for Penn State? And like all of a sudden, you're we're gonna talk about the college football rankings, okay? <laughs> like you didn't even, like you didn't even Dude. get to that. Um, I have so, just been, I've like, been bottled up. You know, I've been bottled up is, for like a you know since our last episode. There's so I much. Hear you. I hear you. We'll so get to much. it. I just, I would, you know, for me as a Penn State okay. fan. I mean, okay. obviously, hating Ohio State is part of our Penn State fan identity, but like. Before that, Andy, this is why we our, have you on love the podcast. For Penn State. By the way, this is your one job is to keep me <laughs> real. Hold on, this is why. Yeah. This yeah. is why we yeah. have me yeah, yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, what does it mean to me as a Penn State fan? What does it mean to Penn State? All of the above, you know, du- dude. Yeah. So, getting the Rose Bowl over, say, even the Cotton Bowl, a, re- a, re- a redux of the Cotton Bowl with a you know the best of the group of five, it means everything. It changes everything for Penn State. It is the, I mean, it's the biggest, the biggest bowl we could get outside of the CFP. And quite frankly, the Rose Bowl is the only bowl game in the traditional sense of the word that matters. Uh, it is it is head and shoulders above all the other non-CFP bowls. It is the one that matters. It's the reason why everything was held up for the expansion because of the Rose Bowl, because the Rose Bowl is the most important and, and you know, Frankly, they gave the Rose Bowl an ultimatum because a they wanted the Rose Bowl to be a part of it. Uh, we'll also talk I'm about just that. saying that's how important the Rose Bowl is for the, <laughs> yeah. the all of college football. Yeah, it's 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 a good uh, example of why and it, I and think, how it's so I important. Think Utah is a very worthy opponent, and the way they looked against USC was very impressive. And Kyle Whittingham is a very impressive coach, and I think it's going to be a real test for Penn State. And I also think that it is a great way to keep our guys locked and loaded with all the you know. Um, bowl practices and and you know to be focused leading into a bowl game for a, a matchup that truly matters it is probably going to be very consequential to the development of a lot of the guys that are going to be coming back next year and I'm I'm very excited about that yeah I think um, in the past the bowl games that 
have really mattered uh, for Penn State that have meant a lot for Penn State was the one were the ones that we were motivated to play for one reason or another. You know, um, whether or not we have won or lost, when when those games have meant something, you know, I'm thinking the 2016 Rose Bowl, the 2017 sure. Fiesta yeah. Bowl. Um, you know, as compared to, you know, what we did in even the cotton bowl when we were playing Memphis, I mean, yeah, we won, but it just didn't feel, it didn't feel thrilling. It didn't feel consequential. It didn't it feel like thrilling. A, I agree that a it nice didn't feel reward for the season. I agree, I agree with that though. It was a thrilling game. I mean, I, it, the game itself was thrilling, but as a Penn State fan, the fact that it was as close as it was for as long as it was for me was kind of irritating, you know? Um, and, you know, the Rose Bowl, I think, is a, especially after we dropped the games to Ohio State and Michigan, is as good a result as you could possibly hope for. And, you know, we're, we're riding this four game win streak now. You know, you feel like a team that's finally figured it out. You, you've put a lot of things together. The defense is playing lights out. The offense has sort of finally discovered an identity. Um, and it feels like a great result and a chance to show, you know, we need a signature win. It's a chance to show that, like, Hey, if we go on to beat uh, Utah, which is a big if, by the way, you know, that's a team that really handled the number four team in the country at the time in USC, you know? Um, So it says something to go ahead and beat a a team like Utah as opposed to, you know, say beating a team like uh, Memphis or even Arkansas a couple years ago. Well, let's put it this way. Kyle Whittingham, um, you know... he he has built a, a great program. He, I don't, a lot of people might not remember this, but he's um, you know followed up Urban Meyer. When Urban Meyer left, Kyle Whittingham was promoted from within. Kyle Whittingham was on that staff since 1994. He's been at Utah wow. since Penn State won the Rose Bowl in 1994. Well, 95 Rose Bowl, but 94 season. That's how long he's he's been at. You know, and that's a, how many years is that? 28 now. So um, you know, you add. Add to the fact that he's been the head coach since 2005. And by the way, a little unknown fact here is if I, if I'm not mistaken, um, Utah has the best, uh, winning percentage in all of college football in bowl games at 17 and seven for a nearly 70, a little over 70%, um, win, win, uh, rate uh, in their bowl games. So this is not going to be an easy task at all by any stretch of the imagination. And I think, by the way, even to add to that, Penn State yeah, at I, this juncture is a one and a half point underdog by some, uh, you know, whatever the the books, the sports books that are out there. Well, that's interesting though. Because, I mean, it shows us a close, a closely sure. matched game, which is also kind of what you you look for in a in a exhibition bowl game. Like you don't want to have a, a team that's like, oh, let's match them up with someone who's obviously going to win. Yeah. You, you know, uh, Utah is certainly, you know, kind of a, an up and coming program, an upstart program. They were not originally part of the yeah. 12. I think they were part of the mountain yes. West when, um, you know, urban Meyer was coaching them when they, you know, got left out of, you know, the, championship when they had an undefeated team because they were the, you know, that was back in the BCS era where they were only putting one and two together. And because they had like inferior competition, they got left out. Right. And, um, somewhere along the line, Utah went and joined the PAC 12 and now they're a power five program. And, 
I think it's going to be a great matchup. I'm looking forward to it. By the way, Penn State has never played yeah, that's, Utah. That's also fun. And so so that's on the line as far as like, hey, you know, this we're we're established blue blood uh compared to Utah. Um but you know, Utah also is a conference champion. Utah also is in the top 10. Right. Penn State fell out with all these other conference champion champions um, that were right behind us in the CFP ranking, jumped over us this, this past weekend with their 13th game. Um, K-State, Clemson, Utah all jumped over us. Um, so here Penn State is at number 11 on the outside looking in. And so that's, th- that's on the line too, is Penn State finishing with a top 10 ranking going into the offseason, going into next year, which, you know, Likely, Penn State will be a preseason top ten team. I'm assuming, if not right on the cusp. So there's a lot on this. There's a lot on the line here. I think there's there's a lot at stake, and I think there's a ton of angles that you can look at. That Penn State, this game means a lot to Penn State. Um, there's this narrative that if you're not in the CFP, these bowl games don't matter. And in large part, I do agree with that. Uh, there's too many darn bowls that don't mean anything. That there's no fans in the stands. But guess what? Um, <laughs> the this the Rose Bowl basically always sells out, and so it's one of the most watched bowls in history. It's it's got a great attendance of I think like like ninety two thousand, and it's gonna be jam packed with Utah and Penn State fans. And it's just gonna it's gonna mean more than a lot of the other bowls, if not all of them, outside of the CFP. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to be there because I know, you know, when we were there and it was a USC game, it was basically like a, a home game for USC. Right. Good you point. know, and, we um, there. <laughs> you know, and Utah, I mean, I'll, I'll, although it's a lot closer to Pasadena, California than uh, Penn State is, uh, nonetheless, you, you know, you really have to get on an airplane or drive through the night to get there from Salt Lake City. And um, is Salt Lake City, is that where Utah is yeah. their home what base? You, yeah, no, now. it is. <laughs> but yeah, Utah, Utah okay, State right. is up in uh, Logan and um, uh, BYU is down in, uh, oh gosh, I even rode my bike through it this year. I forget the name of the, the town that BYU is, in, but it's, uh, but but it's south. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, but it's Salt Lake yeah, City. Sure. So, you know, in any case, like it's going to take some effort for folks from Utah for to sure. get there. It's not just a for cross sure. town trip. It'll, by the way, know, but like they do have a, an international USC airport in, in SLC, and they'll get direct flights right there. So it's it's easier than Penn yeah, State getting I mean, it'll there. It'll still be easier. It'll still be <laughs> yeah. easier, but it won't be. And we can't as forget that Utah for, gave uh, Ohio USC. State a real run for their money last year in the Rose Bowl and it was a, a barn burnover game and Ohio yeah. State came back uh, on the arms of CJ Stroud and of course on the legs of uh, Njigba Smith um, and uh, you know so yeah I mean Utah they did, ha- they did that, have them um, win you know wrapped up and and it was only like miraculous comeback on the part of the the U, um, excuse me, the Ohio Rising State was, offense so yeah I was thinking about yeah. that too you know I was thinking about that too and of course uh, last year, Ohio State had a very, very bad right. defense, and so it'll be interesting to see this year's Penn State defense go up against, uh, you know, very physical running game uh, by the Utah Utes, and see how we, you well, know, see Cam how Rising, that. their quarterback, you know, we, had a great game last year in the Rose Bowl, and he had a great game um, this past weekend. I threw for over three hundred yards and and multi touchdowns. I don't think he had any interceptions offhand. And we're gonna we'll break Utah down more and t- discuss their bowl game probably in the, in our pre pre bowl uh, Utah look ahead. Um, but you know th- this quarterback's not to be taken lightly. But I think we have a 
it'll be a good test for our defense to go up against a, a pretty good offense. But I think you know our defense is better than USC's defense. So I you know I don't think US or excuse me I don't think Utah um, will you know be getting chunks of yardage the, the same way they did against uh, a, a you know frankly a middling if not bad USC defense. Yeah. Um. Before we leave this topic, and um, you know, the matchup, I think, like we've been talking about, presents a lot of exciting opportunities, and I'm looking forward to getting into sort of breaking down Utah a little bit and figuring out what we really have in store for us, because you know, different styles, different conferences, different parts of the country. You know, it's going to be interesting to envision what that matchup will look like, and I want to get some more information and. Uh, Look forward to sharing that with everyone. But, you know, I, I just want to go back to the beginning of this season for Penn State. You know, when the season was brand new and we hadn't played a single snap of football yet, and we didn't know what kind of team we were going to get after coming off a very disappointing seven and five program in 2021, a, a, a really kind of subpar bowl effort against Arkansas. Um, a lot of turnover, very like zero run game to speak of for two years in a row. <laughs> and we were talking about what kind of season do we expect? What What's our win-loss going to look like? And you know, there are a lot of people who are pegging Penn State as an eight and four team. Including me, by the way. And, it, you know, um, very few people, I think, were looking at either a 10-win program or a uh, you know, New Year six program. And so I think um, in spite of the fact that we dropped our only two games against ranked opponents, the fact that this is sort of where this season has resulted based on where we came from, you know, a year ago, it's really super exciting. And I, I think it's a tremendous shot in the arm. You know, we're asking all sorts of questions about Mike Yersich, all sorts of questions about uh, James Franklin, all sorts of questions about, you know, our defensive coordination situation at all. That's we had, we had no idea what that was going to look like after Brent Pry left. And, um, you know, it's really shown the, the dramatic improvement and development of this team. And, and, you know, if you sort of chart the growth of the team from 2020 through 2021 and now 2022, you know, that that's an upward well, uh, trajectory on that growth curve for the team. And, and it, it really, it bodes well. And I, I'm excited for this Rose Bowl, both for like the reward of that, of the growth of the team, but also a chance to show what we might be able to expect going into well, next we'll think season about as well. It, Andy. We got, um, you know, Olu Fushanu, uh, you know, for a top five, top 10 pick coming back. We didn't see him having the kind of year that he had, and we didn't see the rest of the offensive line having the progressions that they've had. And potentially, you know, if we hear from uh, Bryce Hefner and Juice Scruggs, those two could be coming back for their COVID eligibility. Um, and then we have Abdul Carter, who's potentially the freshman of the year in all of college football. He's going to be a true sophomore next year. We have these two running backs. Coming back, true sophomores next year. Uh, one of them being the Big Ten Freshman of the Year in Nick Nicholas Singleton. Um, we have, uh, you know, um, Drew Aller 
potentially going to be a stud. I hope we all hope we all think. Um, so we have we have you know <laughs> yeah. next year is a is a building block still. I think in the progression of these young kids' uh, careers, and if we retain Manny Diaz, which by the way he didn't get uh, he got passed over. I don't know if it was him withdrawing or he was a finalist for the uh, Florida Atlantic job. Of course, you know Manny Diaz is a, is a Miami. Um, you know, through and through player and uh, coach, so he knows Florida well, and it was potentially a place that he would go. And you know, guys like Lane Kiffin have resurrected their head coaching career out of school like that. So he's coming back, at least as far as we know currently. Um, and this is a lot of continuity building. And then you know, just with the balance of power here, with, with you know, uh, in the Big Ten could be shifting, um, could be, and it might be a you know the right time for a you know Penn State to be striking the iron with these players, these high caliber players. Um, it's, it's just an exciting proposition to 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 see that young players have been this good and and you know coming off of such a bad couple of seasons and like you said you know we do make a New Year's six we are have the potential to be a top ten team going into the off season it's just it, there's you know getting into the Rose Bowl these are these are good vibes and and I really just. You really want to see um, the team, the players, the coaches close out the the you know this year on a on a hot note, both you know on the field, of course, in the Rose Bowl against the great opponent, but also in the portal, you know, with recruiting. Uh, there's just a lot of room for like more to be happening, and 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 the 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 snowball, you know, gaining you know size and speed on its way down. You know, is Penn State rolling downhill? You know, in the good sense of the uh, of the phrase. Yeah, picking yep. up momentum, and 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 finally, after a couple of years of real frustration from a fan perspective, and I'm sure f- certainly from within the team perspective, it seems like uh, you know the vibes and the momentum are all going in the right direction. And um, yeah, that's that's really fun. And I, I think in that sense, the Rose Bowl is an opportunity both to be uh, a reward for an unexpectedly good season as well as a catalyst uh, for what whatever might be coming. So that's super exciting. Um, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit now and talk about the rest of that, um, championship week. You know, we talked about the result of the PAC 12 championship, um, in which, uh, number 11 at the time, Utah put up 47 points against number four USC, um, who they held to 24 points, 47 to 24. It's a, that's not just a win. That's a, that's a shellacking really. Um, and it, it, left Utah as the Pac-12 winner, sent USC packing to a alternate, uh, you know, uh, New York Six Bowl. Anything else you want to just say about that game? Um, we talked a little about maybe what it showed for Utah, but just the game in general. Um, yeah, and, and I got and lots of that. thoughts about it. <laughs> yeah, what, uh, what do you want to say all, about USC's defense wanted no part of tackling uh, in that game. And, you know, early on, <laughs> right. Penn State's defense kind of was like subpar uh, this season in tackling. Uh, they kind of righted that ship and got got the ball rolling in the right direction. I think uh, we won't see our, our defense handling Utah in the same way. Um, but also, Utah's defense battered Caleb Williams early and often. Uh, Caleb Williams was a, a kind of off to a hot start, especially using his legs in the first quarter. Um, I think they were, they were up 17 to three at one point. So it looked like USC was going to be rolling. Yeah. Um, but Utah was like, and I did too. I even said, oh, this is about to be a blowout. You, you, USC is going to murder them. Um, but Utah stayed the course, did not panic at all, played sound, crisp football. They, and, and then, you know, 
getting after Caleb Williams in the pocket and hitting him hard when he was running um, played a critical role. And the guy, he was basically limping the whole second half. Um, you know, he was clearly affected by getting hit hard. So, you know, I, and that, by the way, he, you know, he's a true sophomore. He's coming back for his junior year. I'm sure, you know, we'll see him again play. You know, he was a Heisman front runner going into that game. And Utah maybe single-handedly removed him from consideration for the Heisman. Um, I, don't, I mean, maybe C.J. Stroud gets it back. I have no idea. Um, it, that, But Utah basically changed, changed single-handedly the landscape of the Heisman in the game. Um, so that's basically what I take away from that game is just that Utah's a bunch of fighters and, um, you know, they play sound football for four-quarter football too, mind you. Four-quarter football. Yeah, yeah. That beware, yeah. Penn State. <laughs> um, well, you know, and and the lack of defense on USC, of course. I mean, that's something that Lincoln Riley imported totally. from Oklahoma. Same, same as well, defensive right? coordinator from I mean, Oklahoma. Uh, I think his name is Alex Gingrich, um, and he is <laughs> Oklahoma for years was just like, or even just anyone who follows college football was always just like Oklahoma bad defense can't tackle. They might have had like one, maybe two good defensive seasons uh, in Oklahoma in the last decade, but by and large, you know, they were tackling co- much like the lowly Oklahoma defenses uh, of the last decade in that USC Utah game. And that's always what happened when Oklahoma would go to, you know, the the um, yeah. playoff yeah, yeah. themselves. They'd have the offense, but they, they couldn't would hit stop a team the, that they couldn't stop it once. You know, the other quarterback had the ball last kind of situation. Well, and the other thing is, once they actually played a team with some right. actual defense, you know, they got slowed down for the first right. time all season. That seems like what happened yeah, yeah, with yeah. Utah. So, um, interesting game, and of course, probably the most consequential game of the weekend in terms of reshaping the playoff because USC was out, and that. It meant the next team sitting at number five in Ohio State was in, and and that that of course had major implications for Penn State. Um, moving to the Big Twelve, um, that was the noon game on Saturday, and um, you know when when we were talking about this game going into the week, and I said you know if TCU if TCU loses this game, I'm not sure if they're still in, and as it turns out, they were. It was okay for them to lose a game. It was an yeah. overtime loss, so it was very close. Well, I loss think that played a, a against, role. Was the overtime uh, loss? Know, I mean, if they had gotten blown out fifty yeah. to thirty, the way Georgia beat LSU, which we'll talk about, that might have been a different situation. Yeah, um, but um, you know, s- similar to like basically half the games that TCU played. Yeah, they were like all season. This, this yeah. was another one that they were they were behind, and um, you know TCU's quarterback is at Max Duggan. Yep. Um, he, you know, basically single handedly willed, you know, the comeback was able to tie it. Um, you know, going into the you know waning minutes of the fourth quarter and send it to overtime, and basically it was a goal line stand by K State that uh, prevented TCU from scoring in overtime, and they could just yep. kick an easy field goal to win. But, um. A lot of people are talking about Max Duggan as the Heisman Trophy winner after you know that performance, even in a loss. Like maybe the the, the fact that he's done that invited. all year. This might be a know, much closer um, Heisman race than we have seen in uh, you know recent memory. Uh, just because it's no one's yeah. no one's yeah. really. I mean, separated there were himself. times when it seemed like players were like Blake Corm. He was on a tear. You know, until he t- potentially tore something in his Got in hurt. his knee. Um, <laughs> but not to get into the Heisman too much. It's just like you know, it's hard to beat a team twice. And here it is: TCU lost the second round uh, of the of the you know um, K State Utah or excuse me K State TCU matchup. Here's a question for you: Outside of the Pac-12, because of our obvious rooting interests, which of the games 
um, which of the championship games were you most intrigued by? Which were which of them were you most interested in? And I mean, it's um, this one. You know, felt one. like would would be the outside most interesting. of the Pac-12. hundred percent. I, I mean, too. I mean, it it was also the first one you want you were going to watch on Saturday too. So you, everyone's eyeballs were on it. You know, so it, it, and it held up to be a great game to the very end, overtime, all that. Um, and you know, K State playing with backup quarterback that was, <laughs> you know, K State's been playing with I think multiple backup quarterbacks since. Um, is it Taylor? Uh, Taylor Martinez went down, which I forget. But there's, it's been a couple different right. Martinez quarterbacks, and now my brain forgets which. I think it was Taylor Martinez, the former Nebraska quarterback that was uh, in his final year of eligibility this year at K State after the transfer, um, and he went down earlier the season with injury. So K State put together this run to an unlikely Big Twelve championship with backup quarterbacks and winning it against somebody they already lost to, undefeated TCU. It's just kind of weird to me. Uh, to see how it plays out like this, that like, you know, you know, TCU got into the college football playoff, and I think deservedly so it, under the stipulations and rules and how the CFP works currently. But it is weird that like you can win your conference, you can beat the team that makes it into the CFP in your conference title game, and then you yourself yeah. don't even get an opportunity yeah, to continue on for a national title yourselves. So I, you know, I'm very happy that like after next year, conference champion conference championships will matter again because all I care about is did you beat them, you know, on the field. I, you know, once it co- comes to a knockout situation where everything's on the line, beating them on the field is all that should matter. And I, I like knockout knockout I, football is it I totally should be agree. a thing. Like in a four team playoff, it's not. In some ways, in, in some ways, um, you know, other than the Pac-12. Where right. you had the right. one loss USC at risk of of getting knocked out um, if they ended up losing, and it was also a rematch where they had previously lost to Utah. You know, other than that, it, it just felt like there just wasn't a lot of interest in these in these. Because everybody games. was saying, you know, oh, it's like almost like why bother? Georgia loses, guaranteed in. Michigan loses, guaranteed in. You know, I mean, right. TCU loses, right. guaranteed in. So, almost, you know. Yeah, I mean, as long as you as long as you don't lose like terribly. I mean, I, you know, I wonder if if USC Utah had gone into overtime and it was a one loss, you know, a one score loss, or I mean, excuse me, a one point loss. Like it was a very close right. loss. Would they have kept USC in over Ohio State? You know, um, the fact that it was uh, you know by several touchdowns. Um, I, I wonder if that's a big part of why you know USC got bumped out, not just the loss, but the score in the loss. But um, yeah, I, I think um, you know, looking at the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, and like I watched parts of each of those games, and they were competitive at times. But like you look at the final score, you look at the ranking of the teams going in when they played. I mean, there was just very lopsided. Um, kind of unbalanced games even going in. And that's what the score ended up being coming out. And it was just, it's just kind of a snooze fest. And what'll be interesting going into the new arrangement is that, you know, that conference champion gets an automatic bid and it really ups the ante for um, particularly the underdog team, right. To go in and have an opportunity to secure, uh, you know, a seat at the table 
Um, and it it makes getting to that conference championship game something that actually well, means something. The like Michigan in a twelve team playoff in the Big Ten championship game Saturday, Michigan would it was in no matter what on a four team or a twelve team. But it it, it factors in for Michigan for seeding in a first round bye. So it actually in this game. Correct. In a fourteen playoff, it doesn't matter nearly as much to Michigan to beat Purdue for the Big Ten championship as it would in the twelve team format. Think about that. So, like, they, I mean, not that not that Michigan's yeah, not true. motivated to remain undefeated. Like, that's a certain sense of pride for a player and a the coach. I'm sure they actually cared about winning that game. I'm not suggesting they don't. But then you actually incentivize, as you said, uh, you know that that Purdue man. Think about what that could mean for Purdue to win the Big Ten and actually have a chance to go on and play for more. So you're automatically potentially giving each conference, um, you know, part, part, conference championship participant the opportunity to move forward, right? Yeah, I, you know. Similarly, think about the ACC. Right now, there's a game where we knew going in, neither of those teams was going to eventually make it into right, the top right. four. So they're they're just for playing what? for I don't know, like Su- pseudo pride or yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, but but like which is a thing. Now that I'm game's not, mean yeah, something, exactly. you know. So yeah. even a, it, it makes these games matter more. Even a number nine, it makes these game. Even a number yeah. nine, Clemson, right? They can say, "Hey, we made it to the championship game." Uh, you know, as long as we're ranked as one of the top six conference champions, we're going to be able to get into that playoff. And, and, you know, if we peak at the right time, it's, it, you know, we're, we're gold. 2016 you know? Penn state. I, I mean, I don't know. If, <laughs> well, yeah, well, exactly right. And and the other thing I was going to say is like, by the way, this is the second time. And, and this shows you that the, the, what a sham these rankings are to begin with. This is the second time that a non-conference champion, Ohio right. state, has made right. it into the playoff. I mean, that's just... And, and I, I understand, Al, by the way, I understand Nick Saban uh, trying to lobby for his team to get in. I don't fault Nick Saban for that. But here's what I do find interesting by the, in terms of like, you got to go on national television in the middle of the Big Ten championship game during halftime. Nick Saban, an SEC team, an SEC coach, goes on Fox where they're playing the Big Ten championship game, where the Fox has a, a you know a large network deal with the Big Ten, and Kevin Warren's been lobbying to get you know two teams uh, you know in the Big Ten and uh, or in the CFP, but who the heck at Fox will let Nick Saban come in and lobby for a, an SEC team to get in? The CFP Fox allowed this. They they, they implored it. In in fact, so it's so you know as far as who makes it in for that fourth spot as a non, not even not even a non conference champion, but a non division champion and not and a non conference game participant in both Ohio State and and Alabama. So in the twelve team playoff, you don't have to you don't have to come you know try and compare resumes and all that and you know vote one in over the other you can get let these players or excuse me these teams play it out on the field and that's i just i'm blue in the face when i think about it and when i talk about it is just I, like i don't want to see any more of the subjectivity of voting a team in and having these people you know measuring you know resumes that, that by the way when you don't play 
outside of your conference too much, you know, Austin P and like, you know, how State's playing like, you know, whatever crap teams on their non-conference slate, even though Notre Dame was a, was a solid non-conference opponent. Um, it's just, you know, I, I'm tired of just having these arguments about it. Ohio State is worthy over Bama this year, but to, to get, to be rewarded for not winning the games on your schedule that matter is just, ugh, it's ugly. Yeah, especially when I'm it's Ohio agree, State I'm who gets a lot of these on, benefit of the doubts votes in by these committees. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that Ohio State. Well, first of all, they're they're the last one loss team, right? So as opposed to an Alabama, who's a two well, loss the last team. one loss so, team that didn't play in a conference you know, right, championship game because the TCU was a one loss team. That's yeah. what I, that's correct. That's correct. Well, they're also the last one loss sure. team, period. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like they're yeah, they're yeah, yeah. the only one loss team out there besides the ones that are um TCU would be the other one who's, correct. who's now in the conference championship. Oh, and interestingly um, So uh, you know, and ahead. their loss was to the number right. two team in the country. They're you know, deserving now in, of the spot under the so, current system. They are. I'm not suggesting they're not. That's I so I my my argument isn't with that, but I and I agree with you too about the you know Nick Saban hawking, you know, for Alabama and what is Fox thinking weird. doing this? It's I weird. mean, it's just a it's a bad, bad, bad yeah. look. Um so I, I want to talk about one more conference championship game, and then I want to talk about the rankings as they came out. Um and that last conference championship game, I, well. Should we talk about the Big Ten championship game? Is there anything to talk about there? I we, you know, we beat Purdue, um, the West Division champion. Um, Purdue ended up making it to the conference championship game against Michigan. Um, it was like every single other game. Michigan seems to have played close in the first half and a blowout in the second half. Well, Do you want to well, talk here's about what that I'll at say. all? Here's what anything I'll say. say a lot there? of people were thinking that, like, when Blake Corm goes down, there goes Michigan's title hopes. And all that has happened in the most important games at the end of the season to Michigan are, you know, um, what's his name? I, I forget his first name, but Edwards, the running back. Um, he Donovan, thank Donovan you. Edwards? He has just been unbelievable. And the guy's playing with a, a broken hand and a cast on his right hand. So he has done nothing. I think he's in near 400 all-purpose yards, if not over, over the last two games when everything's been on the line. Um, but the so Michigan looks like they can still compete at a you know national championship level with um, Donovan Edwards. However, one thing that I thought was really cool about that game was that uh, <laughs> I don't even know who number 45 for Purdue is, some running back or fullback hybrid. They did a flea, a fake flea flicker that ended up working for like a first down. He, he fake, he, he, um, you know, he handed the ball off to the running back that, you know, Aiden O'Connell handed the ball off to the running back and the running back, you know, ran forward and then looked back like he was going to do, as you always see with a flea flicker, you, you toss it back to the quarterback and he did the full toss back motion but kept it and turned around and faked everyone out and ran straight up the gut for a first down. I forget how many yards he gained, but it's the first time I'd ever seen a fake flea flicker. And I'm like, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's amazing. Like well, yeah. if you're ever going to pull off a flea flicker or a fake flea flicker or either, you know, a title game is the, is the place to be doing it. And that was, that was a cool play. And, um, but ultimately Purdue basically just didn't have the dogs. Um, I actually predicted it with the people that I was watching the game with. I said, this is what's going to happen. You know, Purdue's going to keep it close in the first half. And then Michigan's gonna Michigan in the second half, and that's exactly what happened, you know. And then as and by the way, that's basically what happened with Penn State too, in the Penn State Michigan earlier in the season. 
Yeah, no, it's true. Um, it's what ha- that was like that in the um, the, Ohio's, the yeah. game between Michigan, Michigan and the Ohio juggernaut. State. Right, it's just they play their. Pr- it'll be interesting now that we're now just mentioning this. It'll be interesting because uh, TCU is a come Ooh, from yeah, behind team. Can they can they play and Michigan's brand of football against Michigan collectively? And we just. Well, and also like with with TCU as the ones who's like scrambling to yeah. come back in the in the last quarter, whereas Michigan is like the Python yeah. stranglehold and like will will pull away slowly but surely. It'll be interesting to kind of see how those two different uh, styles of football, um, you know, a run centric game like Michigan and a quarterback centric team like here's TCU. What I'll say. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see well, how that works cool. out. It's, I'm glad we you know have that on our like you know headboard, if you will, or on our belt, uh, the notch on our belt of beating the Big Ten West champion, you know, like, it's a consolation thing, but I, I at least you know I, I'm happy we did that. You know, um, the the Big Ten West was a mess. Yeah. Um, but here's here's something to ponder, Andy. Just think, if we had won that Ohio State game, guess who would be in the CF? I know. We'd be in, dude. We'd be a one loss team, dude. just like Ohio State. Against, I wish you, know, you against the had number. not said that. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what would be happening. Because I thought that same thing, and then oh, I let it go. D- d- I, but yeah, because we have we have just as good a resume as Ohio State. I guess we didn't have the uh, the win we'd against like a another better, Dame. Well, sure, okay, fine. But we'd have we no, we'd have a. In my opinion, we'd have a better resume than Ohio State because we'd actually have a win against a top five team at least at the time. You know, we'd beat Ohio State. Ohio State would have been would have beaten us. Or, or no, I'm sorry. We if we had beaten Ohio State instead of Ohio State beating us, our resume would be better than Ohio State's because we would have a win over a better team than Ohio State did with Notre Dame and Penn State. They'd have a better top end win. Yeah. So yeah, right. Our, our our best win would be better than uh, I think we would have maintained control win. of the top um, but of a top four ranking way, if we, we had beaten Ohio State the, in the season. Yeah. Either way, we would have been the only, uh, you know, one lost team yes. left. Correct. You know, um, so, you know, as it is, you know, Penn State's all the way down at 11 with a bunch of two lost teams ahead of us. Um, I want to talk about that when we get to the rankings. But let me just the, the last the last um, championship game to talk about is that uh, AAC, the American Athletic Conference, where um Central Florida played Tulane. Uh, Tulane won, and um, they ended up being the highest ranked at, at the end of that. The highest ranked uh, of the sixth conference. You know, it, it's actually by the way, the new playoff does not preference the Power Five. It just says the top six ranked conference sure. champions. Right, so. Um, conceivably the big 12 or the PAC 12 could have a conference champion that's ranked below like, you know, the Sun Belt and the AAC or whatever. That's interesting to think about. So it's actually, so it gives conceivable possibility to multiple group of fives, multiple group of fives. If Purdue Purdue had won the big 10 this year, I mean, Tulane would be ranked ahead of the big 10 champion technically. (laughs) <laughs> that's good okay yeah and and possibly troy sure, possibly troy sure. good point who um i can't remember what conference yeah play, but the, you know troy is currently ranked um yeah. 24th good point so 
you know, now would a Big Ten champion Purdue be ranked they above might, 24? They, by the way, would the, would the humans who rank these teams, would they slot? They'd be like, <laughs> we're not having this. Ain't no way we're having two group of five. Okay, so, so because Tulane won and because USC yep. lost, USC gets to play Tulane in the Cotton Bowl. So what a, what I a mean, jump down <laughs> for a, from a CFP Heisman, <laughs> you know, to playing Tulane in the Cotton Bowl in Jerry World. <laughs> I, I don't know if there are any Southern Cal fans listening to this podcast. Zero. I can't imagine Zero why chance. they would. But if so, we yeah, know how yeah. you feel. Fair. <laughs> okay. yeah, we, we also don't we care that you feel that way. How you feel. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> what goes around yeah. comes around. No. Um, but anyway, um, so, you know, let's just talk a little bit about the the rankings as they exist. And these are obviously the second to last rankings. The final rankings will come after the the championship games. But um, I think everyone in the world by now knows uh, the top four are Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State in that order. That means Michigan, TCU will meet up and then Georgia and Ohio State will meet up. But but after those four, that's, that's what I find fascinating. Okay, so first of all, you got Alabama and Tennessee, two SEC programs that did not play in the championship that have two losses. And then they're followed by the ACC champion Clemson. So that's interesting that they knocked Clemson down all the way to seven, even though they won their championship. What do you then mean you got the Clemson Pac-12 down? They didn't knock them down. They knocked, they lost they Utah. Clemson was behind us at number nine. What? When I say knocking them down, I mean kept them behind oh, Alabama. Oh, I'm and sorry. Tennessee, I'm fair, even fair, though fair. they even though they won their their conference champion. Same thing for Utah, you know? It's interesting that the committee just isn't necessarily that's seeing bias, this conference bias, wins, at least for the Pac-12. bias, for sure. And of course, yeah. and, and not to, you know, yeah. at the, when and they're same ranking thing with, those with three, three lost when K-State. they're ranking those three, they're looking at like the actual teams themselves and not their not necessarily their resumes as much because they're saying Clemson wouldn't beat Tennessee, Clemson wouldn't beat Alabama. That's what they're saying there. Yeah, but again, what are you? Uh, this is where all the insanity and sort of like the 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 double speak and the you. inconsistent thinking target. is I like. Understand? Are you doing it based on your perception of who's going to win a imaginary matchup? Are you going to do it based on the fact that you know you won the games that were ahead of you and in front of you? Sure. You know, I it just it's you know the fact that we're expanding to twelve teams means that the likelihood that you have the teams playing on the field that should be playing for the championship is, is much, much better. And by the way, I heard somewhere in the, you know, talk about this expansion and and maybe we'll talk a little bit about more of this. um, When we talk about sort of, you know, the fact that it's a done deal now for, for expanding. But one of the things I've heard is like most NCAA sports have at a minimum 10% of the teams in their bracket, making it into the playoff. And by having a 12-team playoff, that's exactly the number that, um, you know, the FBS has, has reached because we've got about 127 teams in the FBS right now. And so 10%, that's, you know, just over 12 teams. So, you know, to me, this is a huge step in the right direction, you know, as opposed to the incremental step of just having four so- but um, anyway, going on through the rankings um, after Kansas State at number nine, you've got the Pac-12 loser USC at 10. 
And then Penn State, we got bumped down three spots because of those three conference champions moving up ahead of us um, at number 11. And then at number 12, you've got Washington, who I guess would be the third in the Pac-12, sort of the um, analogy to Penn State, who's a third in the Big Ten. Here's what I wanted to talk about, bro. And I don't know, we hadn't talked about this yet. Do you realize that in a future 12-team playoff, that sixth conference champion, even though wherever they're ranked might be much lower, in this case, Tulane at number 16, they still get in at one of those 12 spots. So the number 12 team in this case, Washington, is left out in favor of Tulane, and Penn State sneaks in just by the Yeah, we're the the 11th ranked, exactly. And guess, guess what? Guess who we would be playing in that first round matchup at, at you know, who we'd be playing somebody who was, by the way, ranked sixth uh, in the 12 team format. And guess who it would be? Well, that would be nope. Tennessee. No. And we would be playing in No, Oxo. that's not true. Uh, just released seven hours ago today uh, from Sporting News, they, they outlined the 12 team format with the current CFP rankings. We'd be playing at the Horseshoe. In the first round. That's what I have here in front of me. Oh, that's right. Because yeah. the conference yep. champion, the top yep. four conference you get, champions you get, get, you get the bye. Uh, you get uh, Georgia, one, Michigan, two, Utah, uh, I'm sorry, Clemson, three, Utah, four. All right. The highest ranked, the oh, highest ranked wow. conference champions. Wow. All right. And then, and then, wow. yeah, so you get Penn State, the rematch. At the horseshoe. <laughs> oh, that sucks, dude. <laughs> That's the yeah, worst. <laughs> so, so then we would go on to play Clemson um, at Clemson, I believe is how that works. Um, if we the, ended up yeah, beating and, Ohio State, and Alabama would play U.S. number se- you know seventh seeded Alabama would play tenth seeded USC, um, eighth seeded Tennessee would I'm sorry you know Alabama the winner of the Alabama USC game would go on to play Michigan in in the Big House, um, Tennessee K State eighth and ninth seeded would go on to play Georgia you know down in UGA, um, and then TCU fifth seeded would go on to play twelve seeded Tulane, and they would go on to play Utah. <laughs> I and I like this because you're really making these conference high ranked conference champions making it count for them. You're making it matter for them. You know you could be you could you could I mean, be this is crazy you could be Ohio about- State and and you know uh, be be ranked fifth or fourth, excuse me, ranked fourth in the CFP, but not even be, get your, get your first round by. <laughs> I love it. It's crazy to think about Clemson and Utah who are currently ranked seventh yeah. and eighth getting that first yeah. round by as the, as a top four conference champions. That's conference just, championships matter. That's, that's how wild. you make, that's why, that's how you yeah, give I love it. these conference championship games, actual like meaning. And I, and I love it. I think it's, I think it, you need to, that's the best way that you could, I can think of right now to give those conference title games meeting. And that's what we've been barking about for, you know, since 2016, right? Since seeing Ohio State go in above us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we would have been a, yeah, we would have had a buy. had a buy. And then we would have had a home game after the buy against, I don't know who, but whatever. Mm. Anyways, (laughs) I, 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 
I think just just to be clear, I think those quarterfinal games are bowl games. Are you sure about that? At neutral sites. I thought just yes. the final four. Oh no, you I, are right. You are right. I think you are right. I'm I, I am yeah. very mistaken. I yeah. apologize. Those four quarterfinal games are are neutral site games. And I, th- I like think right, right now with the early expansion, with the early expansion in twenty four right. and twenty five, those are gonna be played on the New Year's for, weekend yeah. or what yeah. New Year's and cluster, for what it's worth, right? I, I, and then until yeah, you finish your thought. <laughs> I was going to say, and then the semifinal games will be played like a week later and then the final. So you're actually adding an additional week at the, onto the end of the season. Uh, the, one of the big talking points is that in, in 2026 is when sort of the contracts all get renegotiated. We're actually and, adding two weeks the TV Andy, rights we're adding and two stuff. Weeks. And they're talking about, we're adding two weeks because we're adding two rounds right, of football. Two, well, I think, so I think the, I don't think we're adding two weeks to the end. I think we're adding one week to the end and we're adding a game in the middle. I get what you're saying. I'm just saying we have added two rounds as far as the date that things conclude. We've added two rounds, but the, the end of the, yeah. the end of the season is going to extend by a week. I, I think. get you. Um, but in 2026, what they're talking about doing is moving the college football start a week sure. earlier. So, so you finish, uh, the regular season the week before Thanksgiving instead of Thanksgiving weekend. And then the college, the ah, championship games are played Thanksgiving weekend. There's a weekend. lot of interesting changes happening in college football. And by the way, speaking of a future exactly. change that I so, anticipate so, happening is I actually do anticipate the second round uh, in a 12-team format. I anticipate sometime in the future, certainly in our lives, I believe that those top four seeds going will play to home, home games. Because why wouldn't Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, Utah, why wouldn't those conference highest-ranked conference champions deserve a home game for all their hard work to get to that point? Why Why would you reward yeah, these lower-ranked totally teams with their own home game? And by the way, that's revenue for those teams on top of that. And that's fans getting to see their best, you know, the best teams play in their home stadiums. Georgia deserves that. Michigan deserves that, right? Yeah. And, and like the other big question is then, you know, with all of these championship games, what happens to those consolation bowls and, you know, how many will there end up being? And, you know, will those mean anything at all? What they should do, Andy, is they should, what they should organize the rest of the, the, and we're off script. Not that anyone here knows what our script is, uh, but this is kind of a this is a loosely <laughs> scripted episode. It's more of just a like, let's talk about football, talk about Super college loose. football here <laughs> as it relates to you know Penn State and you know the future of of college football and all that. Um, but basically, in my opinion, and I know my opinion matters a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure a large percentage of the uh, chancellors of college football. The real hiking Vikings college football opinion matters greatly. Okay, so um, <laughs> I, take the rest of the part, the bowls that exist as they are. What you should do is you should organize a, a like it, another like not losers bracket, but like a playoff. Another 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 to- another bracket where it's like. There is like, I mean, I don't know if you'll get people opting out because it doesn't matter, but like, wouldn't that be kind of cool if like at least maybe a cluster of a few bowls or like, let's have our own little like, here's what we'll call this the such and such poinsettia, you know, championship bracket. I'm just making, throwing words out there, but like the Tostitos um, championship bracket. The toast, you know what I mean? I don't know. Where it's just like the Tostitos bowl hosts, you know, like four teams. 
Yeah, kind of like an invitational Why tournament. Why not? And, and, and especially like you yeah, know, interesting. You had the top, maybe the the next top teams, like the next top twelve teams. Maybe you group them into a, their own little tournament, so that like you, it, I think it'd just be fun. At least it would make those bowl games a little more relevant. Um, and, and I don't know. Again, don't know if it would stop uh, the opt out situation. Certainly, a larger you know college football championship uh, tournament curbs the the overwhelming amount of opt-outs that are increasing year to year um you know cj stroud's not going to sit out the you know this this uh 14 playoff this year is he he was going to sit out the rose bowl though right <laughs> i think he probably yeah. will so play. <laughs> i'm just saying maybe that's a way to, to create play. um relevancy within the remaining bowls that aren't part of this 12 team playoff i don't know call me crazy well, you know, and, and like we said before, um, the big news this week is that the Rose Bowl, after holding out for a very long time, uh, they agreed to um, expand early. And they I had guess, no other choice. you know, all of the stakeholders had to, they had to unanimously agree to, um, to, to, um, make the change in 2024. Uh, otherwise, it would have waited until the new co- um, TV contracts came out in 2026. So uh, the Rose Bowl was the lone stakeholder who held out, held out, held out. And finally this week, they said, yeah, we will give our consent. Um, you know, the Rose Bowl is kind of going into unknown territory where they may not get their New Year's Day guaranteed window. And um, that was what they were hoping to try to to leverage. But as it turns out, they really didn't have any leverage in the end, and they finally just said, "No, we whatever happens, we want to yeah, be part of the I mean, new playoff." So you know, like they just had no choice. It's big news though, because you know, two years sooner than it would have, it, this change is going to be, um, uh, you know, happening. And so for a team like yep. Penn State, instead of waiting until 2026, you know, as soon as 2024, assuming we, you know, don't win our conference championship, assuming we're not in the final four, you know, at the end of the season, which has been a very hard thing for us to do, even when we've had great seasons, this makes the bar a lot lower, a lot sooner. And so in 24 and 25, you're going to have eight additional teams who otherwise would not have been able to And that means Drew Aller, Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen, Abdul Carter, (laughs) and others that are going to be on the Penn State roster come 2024, at least those four will be in their true junior years where they will have to play that season get, you know if they're healthy and, and all that kind of stuff and so th- that will be their potentially their swan song swan season uh, with Penn State and they I, I mean I got I'm not gonna give them a shoe in but my assumption is that Penn State would be uh if the trajectory you know continues the way it is this season and beyond um I mean it's it's a it's a likelihood that Penn State would make the top 12 I think um just given the talent of those four players and how they've looked on the field this year and how much it's meant to Penn State research you know Penn State's resurgence back into you know top 12 relevancy right yeah, I, I I think so. I mean, so much so that actually might be a year where Penn State would finish in the top I mean, four it's in that year. More possible but, that year than say this year, I think. But again, again, if, we, as we've if seen we if we beat Ohio State this like, year, we'd be a top four team. Yeah, but as we've seen with a team even like Ohio State, like that one loss to Michigan, very. I mean, if USC hadn't you know face planted in their bowl game. Ohio State was on the outside looking in, even though they felt like they had a national championship winning team going into the season. That's what they expected of themselves. And that one little slip up. So, you know, as much as you might say, 
hey, in two years, Penn State is going to be very possibly one of the top four teams in the country. Um, just playing the 12 football games that you have to play and then the 13th uh, you know, conference championship game, that's a lot of opportunities to, to screw up. Absolutely. You know? um, and so I, I agree with you that, that the fact that in 2024 is a chance to, to expand to the 12 teams makes me very excited um, for just two years from now. I mean, not even... I mean, it's almost a year and a half from now. One, you know, two football seasons yeah. from now. No, one um, one next football season. season what that now. means is one football. We, we play right, one exactly. season before that stuff gets implemented. Yeah. Correct, correct. That's what, exactly what I was going to say. We we only have one more season of football to play before the twelve team uh, tournament is underway. And um, you know, it's not to say that Penn State couldn't have a shot next year if everything goes. <laughs> you know, on the trajectory we are this year, it's, you know, there's a good chance for Penn state to have potentially their first appearance next year. We'll of course preview that, um, in the weeks ahead, but, um, it, it's just really exciting. This does a lot for college football. Um, a lot of positive things and, and finally takes the decision-making the major decision-making out of the hands of, you know, these suits who just twiddle their thumbs and, you know, tell everyone different things, different weeks and different years about why they think these four teams are the way they ought to be. I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it of all the changes coming up in college football, and there are some ones that I'm really concerned about. This change is a really good one. I think ultimately for the health of the team, uh, excuse me, for the health of the sport and also for the good of Penn state as a team. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, not, not, to forget about this aspect of getting to the Rose Bowl for Penn State is, you know, this, you know, I think Penn State is on a good trajectory. They could be, they could be challenging for the Big Ten title next year, but like here we are with an opportunity in the Rose Bowl and the Rose Bowl may never be again what it is now for, you know, Penn State to and a Big Ten team to make it into the Rose Bowl. So, you know, and by the way, that's part of the reason why I'm interested in actually attending the Rose Bowl game myself this year is there's no guarantee that Penn State will ever play. Yeah, there's been some chatter, yeah, hasn't there's there? There's no guarantee that Penn State will ever play in the Rose Bowl again as it stands now, as it has stood for many, many, many years for the Big Ten and Pac-12. Yeah, so... um with that, um, I, I wanted to sort of take a pause. We have a couple of other things we want to talk about. Um, we want to talk about the Penn State team and opt-outs. We want to talk about sort of uh, the portal and transfers and and uh, how those things are shaping college football and some of the big name changes that have, have been um, already announced. Um, but before we get into all that, let's go ahead and take a turn and open the mailbag, let's shall we? Mailbag time. Oh man, I, I really appreciate uh, everyone who, who's written in this year. Um, we've got a lot of great uh, contributions, and um, to today, um, this first one is from Sue Rapine. Uh, second yeah. time right in. Thank you, Sue, for Welcome writing back. back. Sue. Um, this is not so much. <laughs> That's not so much of a question here as a comment, but I think it's worth uh, bringing up. And the subject of her uh, email is Abdul Carter versus Micah Parsons. And she says, hey, guys, just listening to your recent podcast about Abdul Carter. This was last week's podcast. Uh, she says, I heard recently that he has had as many as six and a half sacks in his first season. It took Parsons two seasons to get that. Pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, at this juncture, now to 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 give you know, and and fairness to Micah, Micah was making a a position switch from defensive end to middle linebacker. He had never played linebacker prior to coming to Penn State. That was a position of great need for Penn State at that juncture. If you recall, Koa Farmer was uh you know you know sorry he didn't play middle linebacker his freshman year, but he shared time with Koa Farmer on the outside, uh, and Koa Farmer got every start his freshman year, but. You know, Micah was the team's leading tackler in replacing him and rotating with him. Um, but Koa kind of left a lot to be desired. Uh, and, and Micah certainly was the better athlete there and improved it on the field of play. But here in Abdul Carter's situation, a much less heralded recruit, uh, by and large, you know, um, and he, improperly he, so, apparently. Well, <laughs> for sure, improperly so, um, because. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he cer- certainly was severely underrated in what he was going to be able to do for not just um, Penn State, but like what he could just do, you know, <laughs> skill wise from the position. This guy is a torpedo, you know, in in the linebacking core for us. Um, and he's not just a, a, an edge rusher. He's not just a blitz, an interior blitzer. This guy covers the field very well. Um, and he had, I think, ten and a half tackles for a loss, six and a half sacks, and the guy didn't even start. He wasn't even starting for us right away. Uh, and if you recall, he didn't even play the whole for, uh, Purdue game because he got kicked out on his first tackle of his entire college career. So, oh yeah, I there is a that. lot to That's be hilarious. you know excited about for Abdul Carter's. Um, a bogus call, by the Sega. way. Oh, yeah, agreed. It was a, a, a very, you know, I think um, subjective call that did not go the way that we thought it could have gone. Um, but, I mean, and Micah showed up in, uh, I think, for spring practice, he graduated early. So he was there in winter workouts, excuse me. Um, so he got a lot of off-season um, adjusting to be able to be doing for for him to, to be able to play the linebacking position. But, Abdul Carter didn't show up till right before the season started, and he was doing that stuff right out of the gate. So he's very smart. He's got a high football IQ from what everyone's uh, saying and from what we're seeing on the field. Um, and I think the sky is the limits for him to have a full, full, you know, just allotment of, um, you know, practices and workouts and strength and conditioning in the program. There, you know, having this major bowl game is, I think, going to really elevate his ability to progress and grow and become a better linebacker. This is going to be huge for us. And he stayed healthy by and large the, almost the whole year. Um, so that's just, that's, I, he could go on to be a better, you know, Penn State linebacker than Micah was. I'm not saying he's going to be a better NFL linebacker than than Micah is because Micah is just doing stuff in the NFL that you know we haven't seen since the Lawrence Taylor era. Yeah, I, you know I think I mean everything you're saying about Abdul Carter is true, and I, I'm 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 on the bandwagon, man. How can uh, I not be? I'm really looking forward to seeing how how he develops and and the things he continues to do uh, the things he continues to do for Penn State um I, you know there are a couple of things it's always hard to compare people of different eras first of all you know and a lot of times like you just like oh who's the best such and such uh, you know in all of hi- history at Penn State or in college football or in the NFL it's just hard like different eras of football you know different eras of sports different eras of different coaching regimes just it, it's just very hard to compare i think um one of the things that uh, there's a difference between uh, abdul carter and micah parsons 
um, beyond what you mentioned is that Micah was switching positions when he came into college. He was also under a different defensive coordinator. And Brent Pry was definitely a guy who relied a lot less on the chaos and blitzing and things like that. Um, and, um, you know, Manny Diaz has just been like, let's throw everything at him in the kitchen sink all the time, yep. every day. And so, you know, I, I, it'd be interesting to imagine what Micah Parsons would have done in a Manny Diaz defense and would he have been used differently and would he have had, you know, the opportunities to have more sacks under Manny Diaz compared to Brent Pry. I think the other thing is just I'll say is that, um, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but Micah Parsons opting out in 2020, and that's not to say that that, you know, for Mike was the wrong choice or we should, you know, hold grudges or anything. I just, it left his legacy at Penn state somewhat unwritten. And so it just like that final season that you would have had a chance to really see what kind of linebacker Micah Parsons could really have become. We just didn't get a chance to fully see that. And so you're left remembering that 2019 season, his, his, really his only one starting season for us. And you kind of sort of have to imagine what that would have been, but you never got to see it. Yeah. Um, I think when you look at, let me just say this to conclude, when you look at what Micah has done with the Cowboys, even in his rookie season now continuing, you just get the sense that we just didn't quite use him as well as we could have. He just didn't reach his potential at Penn State. And I don't put that on Micah. I put that on kind of the the position change and the you know the way he was used by Brent Pry and Well, let's put know, it this way, Andy. You know, in a little I, bit I, the I COVID year. So Franklin has I think Micah is a great representation of Franklin learning that when you get a generational talent like Micah and and you know, by the way, maybe Abdul Carter, yes. maybe Drew Aller, maybe Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen are those. I'm not saying as good as Micah, but like they, those four players are going to revolutionize Penn State. Yeah, game changing talent. And, you know, Abdul yeah. Carter, you, you got to get him on the field. You got to play him because you have. If you what Koa Farmer didn't stack up uh, to Micah Parsons in any way athletically or in any other way of me- measuring the the difference between these two players, it was always. It was really kind of like an old school response where it's like, you got to put in your time and we're going to be loyal to the guys and who've Franklin been here. And Franklin has now learned from that, I believe, at least, with playing these younger guys Seems that, way. that are four and five, high four star, high, you know, or five star players. You got to get them on the field because even if they make mistakes, their ceiling can be reached quicker by letting them get ex- experience right out of the gate, you know? Um, and by the way, we saw that in the Northwestern game. You know, the, both these true freshman running backs were fumbling the ball left and right. Yeah, there's but a they got to learn on the job that the way. Inexperience. You got to learn that way. <laughs> Comes back um, to bite you a little bit. And these two kids, yeah. you know, uh, combined for over two thousand yards and over twenty, you know, and twenty-two touchdowns. And that will pay dividends when more is on the line next year as they are, you know, thrusted into an even bigger uh, responsibilities and higher expectations. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and not to not to beat a dead horse that we beat to death, and uh, well, you know I'll again, beat, Clifford, I'll beat the horse to death even further uh, than you. I have to. I let you talk. You know, Clifford ended up with a a really good four game uh, final four games for Penn State, and um, you know, in some ways, a lot of the controversy sort of simmered down thing, in Andy. those you're, final you're four wrong, games. I agree. But, but you know, 
Drew Aller presents someone behind Sean Clifford who's got, um, at least as far as we can tell, a much higher ceiling. And, you know, why don't you take the opportunity to go through those growing pains to get him the experience and to put your team in a position to... Now, look, would we be going to the Rose Bowl if Drew Aller had dropped another one or two games by mistakes caused by inexperience? Maybe not. Maybe it was maybe it was the exact right choice that they made, and they've got a lot of experience for Drew Aller. You know, but, you know, what does next season look like if this is Drew Aller's second season as an experienced starter as opposed to his first season? So, anyway, um, all that to say, I think you're right. Franklin did learn a, a, a big lesson through, you know, Micah Parsons and not using him quite as well as he and could have. And to close out on. the Micah Parsons conversation, let's just put it this way. He went, I think, number 12 overall to the Cowboys. Um, a lot of people are saying, uh, in ret- you know, in retrospect, uh, that if they were to redraft the players from that season, from that draft, then Micah would go number one overall. So... <laughs> So yeah, yeah, that's just to close that out. Um, you know, I, I, it's it's just you got to play your talent. That's the end of that conversation, in my opinion. You got to play the talented player, right? <laughs> All right. Our second mailbag right in is uh, he introduces himself as a longtime listener, first time writer. This is Joel Bettner, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> He says, uh, I'm stoked that our Nittany Lions are Rose Bowl bound against a really good Utah team. Uh, During my time listening to the show, I've heard a lot of gripes over quarterback performances. (laughs) Yes, he's picked (laughs) up on that. Um, And the desire to see Aller start games, which brings me to my question. Would you rather, bro, have the Cincy kid take every snap of the Rose Bowl with all his known pros and cons, or... Take a risk and have the more unknown Aller take every snap at the Rose Bowl, which is funny because we were just talking about Clifford and this very thing. Um, as it pertains to the Rose Bowl coming up, bro, um, what would you say? Which would you rather? Well, I have two kind of trains of thought here about that question. One is um, <clears throat> the one I'm going to go with is Sean Clifford deserves every snap in the Rose Bowl, in my opinion. Um, as much as it pains me to say that as far as like, I would much rather be turning the page, uh, for this five-star kid to really get a chance, um, to really get a chance to see what he can do against, you know, top level competition. I just, we just know now at this juncture, how Franklin, you know, reveres Clifford and, and how he reveres what he's done for this program on and off the field. And Franklin's not wrong. Clifford, you know, while maybe he is not a complete quarterback in every sense of the word, well, look where we are, and he's been at the helm, and it, he is it, he holds every statistical um, record book in you know Penn State quarterback history. He has led us to two uh, ten and two regular seasons, uh, and uh, he you know we finished in the top ten his fr- his uh, first year at the helm. Obviously, the the program as a whole, you know, going five hundred over the last two seasons is not entirely because of Sean Clifford. Like you cannot put that entirely on his shoulders at all. So the fact that he, uh, you know, on the arm and legs of Sean Clifford, we came, we fought back and are 10 and two with a shot at, you know, finishing off the year 11 and two with a top 10 ranking heading into the off season with a new year, six bowl, a Rose bowl, shiny, you know, it just, you got to give it to him. He earned it. He earned it. 
And um, would I like to see Drew Aller in the bowl game? Absolutely. Um, do I think it's going to be the game that Franklin's feeling good about getting his, you know, I, I it's going to be a hard-fought game. Penn State is certainly not, um, you know, a shoe-in to win it or by any stretch of the imagination, uh, given that, you know, Utah is at right now a one-and-a-half-point favorite, at least according to some sports books. So I'm just assuming that we won't see Drew Aller um, in the game. You know, I just don't see it being one of those types of blowouts that we've had the past four weeks or against Ohio or against anyone else. You know, unless, you know, knock on wood, unless uh, Clifford gets injured, I just don't see Aller (laughs) getting in there. And I would like to see... Uh, Clifford go out on on that kind of a note in his career, you know, with a Rose Bowl victory and a top ten uh, team. That would be great. It'd be great. Yeah, I mean, similarly, as this is a reward uh, for a Penn State team that's exceeded expectations on the season, it would certainly be a reward for the the quarterback yeah. who got you there. Um, and I think you know, again, unless Clifford were injured that we weren't aware of. I, I wouldn't expect to see um Aller getting uh getting playing but, time. But that doesn't um, mean that doesn't mean that Aller won't get, you know, critical, you know, practices and the whole team's gonna be practicing, you know, with with a certain yeah, mindset. This is a, it's a good thing just from the perspective of team development that this is happening. You know, I could see Honestly, I could see there being an Aller package yeah, maybe. that the team puts together where it's like, rather than saying, well, if we end up winning by a yeah, lot or losing by fair. a lot, you can play. Where it's like, you know, we're going to run a couple of packages that are specific to Drew Aller. We're going to put him out there for a series in the second quarter. We're going to put him out there for this for a series in the third quarter. And, you know, Sean Clifford knows it's happening. Drew Aller knows it's happening. You know, similar like where you bring out your gadget plays and things like that, where I could see wanting to get Aller a few snaps for the sake of a, maybe a competitive advantage, but also be just giving him some experience of taking snaps in a, in a major postseason game. Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, do I think it's going to be Sean Clifford? Yes. I think also for me, I would rather see him. He's got this has been a season built on Sean Clifford in all of his glory and all of his consternation. And so that's the right thing to do. And I, I want to see him and I want to see him win it. Now, if Sean Clifford goes out and lays in not possible <laughs> and and <laughs> totally possible, you know, would I fault James Franklin for saying I don't know what's wrong with Sean Clifford today, but he doesn't have it. I'm going to put in my five star. I would not fault him for benching him, and I'd probably be calling. Well, yeah, I just think this Rose Bowl well, victory right? means means something. It means more than the Arkansas game last year. I do year. think you want to win it the mean, game. It will mean. I do think it you want to mean win more game. than beating Arkansas last year, and of course, at A least lot Cl- and then Clifford did not look strong in that um, that game at all. So, a Clifford's going to want redemption for his bowl game last year, um, in my opinion. But I, I honestly don't think that. And we're going to again, we're going to preview this game more so in our next episode. But I just don't see the coaching staff building the game plan around Clifford needing to win the game with like by throwing it for three hundred plus yards. Like I just don't see that being. What you know, I think I think we will want to play a physical brand of football with our run game and have Clifford, you know, thrown to the tight ends, uh, you know, because we won't have Parker Washington. We'll be thrown to the tight ends quite a bit. And I think it'll be that kind of an offensive game plan for Penn State against a physical brand of uh Utah defense. So um 
I don't know how Utah um, compares to say Michigan State, but Michigan State, as I said, you know, our last game of the of that four game win streak, they were a much more physical, much more disciplined team compared to um, the previous three teams that we played, and yet. You know, Clifford went out through 13 straight incompletions, excuse me, 13 completions, straight completions yeah. to end the game. Um, you know, the run game wasn't great, but it was good enough. And we, you know, managed the game to a win. And I, I see something like sure. that happening. And I, I think Sean Clifford can get you there if he's not asked yeah, to I think do you're too right. much. I think that so, you're right. The, the Michigan State game it may, may be a template for like, hey, how we want to attack Utah and, and beating Michigan State. When they fought and like you know kept it close and kind of were threatening in the second half, where then we kind of like put put on you know turn on the gas and you know played sound football to close out the game and win comfortably. That I think that's that bodes well for at least preparing for this type of Utah team, which a Utah team that is definitely better than Michigan State, definitely better coach, definitely has have more continuity. They know who they are. They are Utah is not going to have any opt opt outs, um, which Kyle Kyle Whittingham said and and Franklin also. Also said, you know, bar, you know, aside from Joey Porter Jr. opting out for the draft, he does not anticipate any opt-outs for the the, Ro- the Rose Bowl game for Penn State. Which, you know, hey, that could change between now and then for both teams. But right now, as it stands, I think we're both both teams are going to be by you know, largely healthy healthy with the players they finish the season with, um, and uh, you know, they'll have their whole complement minus uh, JPJ. And uh, I think that I think that's what's going to make this a great game in general. And I think Clifford will have to be play his best game managing, um, you know, self to to go ahead and see the blue and white beat Utah. Yeah. So um, here's what Joel says. Uh, he says we know the Cincy kid can have an excellent or a horrendous day. So it could go either way with him taking the snaps, but. At least we know what we're getting. <laughs> so Fair. with Aller, we haven't seen yeah. enough to know uh, what we're getting. So personally, at this point in the season, I'd rather go with the known coin flip. The, the Cincy flop <laughs> so, kid. So, so, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, I mean, a little different line of reasoning, but it sounds like we're all um, looking forward to, to yeah. seeing Sean Clifford um, you know, play his last game in a Penn State uni- uniform yeah. and hopefully you know, have a real nice um, you know, end to his career. Um, that'll do for mailbag. We have one other topic um, to talk about before the end of the podcast, and that is related to the fact that the transfer portal opens today, right? or I guess I should say has opened yes. already. Um, and um, it's, it's part of this sort of new era of college football that we're in. And it's yet to be seen what the 12-team playoff, how that shifts the transfer portal and name image likeness. Um, But right now what we're seeing is a a lot of movement, more than we've seen even in the past. Um, You're seeing coaches having not only to go out and get transfer players, you know, and lure them potentially with NIL money, but also maintain and retain their players and, you know, continue to, uh, you know, with free transfer um, opportunities and, you know, other coaches being able to offer um, NIL money to guys that are on your roster. So um, I I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And the first place to start is, of course, just 
you know, for Penn State, what it means. And we know a couple of big things already about the team, um, both those who are leaving and those who are coming back. The big thing I wanted to start with is kind of the biggest shock to everyone. Um, it, this is maybe a week or so old at this point, but Alu Fushanu, our extremely highly rated left tackle who was injured in the last few games, uh, by everyone across the board, he was expected to leave for the draft and get NFL money. I mean, top five, and top ten. He announced projections we're talking here, and in some cases, big money. The Chicago Bears have the number two overall pick as it stands right now, and if they were to utilize that pick, people were projecting the Bears to be taking him at number two. If you know all things were equal, which they will not be, but that's like when was the last time Penn State had the second overall pick that was an offensive lineman you know like i know in 94 we had several linemen taken in the draft we had at least one in the first round but i mean the lavar errington went number two overall in 99 and he was you know that's good grief i mean saquon barkley went number two overall in 2018 draft so this is the kind of player that you know could be going on to the nfl and decided to come back and mind you the kid's only 19 years older now he turns 20 later this december um but you know he's this is gonna be drew aller's blindside he's returning that's that is unbelievably like <laughs> it's just i think i was freaking it's out for an entire 48 hours about it you know basically um and I think it could le- it could pave the well, way for the rest of the offensive line to potentially come back, uh, you know, intact. Uh, Hunter Norzad also, um, you know, earlier before this uh, news, Hunter Norzad said he was coming back after his season-ending injury. Um, but, you know, Juice Scruggs and Bryce Efner could decide to come back for their COVID year of eligibility. And that just, you know, sets the stage for, you know, what was already Penn State's greatest offensive line output it, it, basically the James Franklin era. And now the the opportunity for that continuity to remain with that level of, you know, left tackle coming back, it just bodes well for Drew Aller's, um, you know, progression and just development. Um, it is, is, is critical for a young quarterback to have that kind of trust in his blind side being totally locked down, you know? It's very exciting. And, um, you know, it, it 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 makes you hopeful for the future. It makes you wonder, like, how much is nil part of that we, arrangement? We won't know right? Yet. Because we don't know yet. We won't know. We won't know. Well, we might but, know. We like, just don't know. You know. Yet. <laughs> right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but you know, that's speculation. Sure. I, what I will say is, I was very impressed with the statement that um, Olofushano put out, which was to say. I want to finish my education. I feel like I have unfinished business with this team. And, you know, in talking with my parents and my coach felt like this is the right decision for me. Um, a lot of people said, by the way, in the wake of this, that it speaks to the kind of culture that James Franklin has created. And um, remember earlier I was talking about like, um, or maybe this was offline. I can't remember if it was before we pressed record. Like the, the disruption that NIL and Transfer Portal is creating like nobody knows how to how to make that work you know nobody knows uh, the formula i think this was before we pressed record bro um nobody knows the formula for making that work nobody knows how to make that happen i mean if you have more resources to draw more talented players that's obviously an advantage but you know one thing that franklin's obviously been working on well before um this nil stuff has come out is creating a certain kind of culture and i wonder what kind of advantage that gives 
Penn State and James Franklin for retaining talent like Olufoshanu when either going to the draft or transferring out is a much more viable option than it ever well, and was. And also, interestingly enough, uh, Franklin also came out and said when he was on that uh, press conference uh, earlier this week, or excuse me, uh, I, I maybe it was yesterday. I forget where, where and when it was exactly, but he was in Kansas traveling for recruiting purposes. And he was talking about how the way the portal is working after talking to a bunch of other college coaches and, and high school coaches is he doesn't feel that the portal has anything to do with academics in any way. And that, Olu Fashanu, throughout this whole year, his coaches and his teammates have been talking about how academically driven Olu is and how his his own, his family and himself were very much in tune with, with the academic aspect of him in college and also I, him returning. It was about his academics. Like he can go on to get his master's while he's here. Um, and he, I mean, just... That just speaks to to kind of what Franklin preaches in in and success with honor that Joe Paterno started that, that is very much being um, continued and in fact there's even an NIL collective called Success with Honor run by Michael Motti um, and a couple of other people that you know academics are important within all of this and Franklin just was you know shedding light on that and I, and Olu is a great example of of how his academics played a big role in a sticking around and not foregoing his you know his first draft eligible you know opportunity and also sticking around and not going somewhere else where he could potentially you know uh, if he like let's say he decided he wanted to transfer to Alabama to, to to you know compete for a national title more easily than Penn State like he could do that but is Alabama's ac- academics as good as Penn State's do they care as much um anyway so so all that to say will credits transfer will he have a chance right. to graduate in the right. same way like and that's interesting like how many of these players end up having major academic setbacks yes. because they transfer before they graduate i mean it's not necessarily easy to make sure that uh you know your um course of study in one school actually is accepted at mm-hmm. another school um you know Eileen and I had gotten our masters and and um Eileen uh, ended up doing some coursework for her masters at the institution in California when we were back here in uh Baltimore yeah. and it was you know, it's interesting, like the way that different schools do their credits differently. It's not necessarily a foregone conclusion that your coursework at one school is going to be accepted yeah. at another. And so, you know, it's just interesting an interesting point to recognize that, you know, it's Penn State continues to have a sense of, of academic excellence, academic uh, concerns. Um, you know, I mean, Penn State is not necessarily Harvard or even Notre Dame, you know, but it's a really excellent academic institution. And the fact that the football program is focused on and concerned about, um, you know, helping their student athletes also be students, it could be the sort of thing that helps to differentiate Penn State. Um you know, will that be enough ultimately to get us, you know, the talent level that we need to, you know, get into the playoff and eventually win a national championship again? I don't know, but it makes you feel good about being a Penn State fan and, a, you know, for me, a Penn State alum and our family to be, you know, Penn, longtime Penn State supporters. Um, you know, when to, to hear that this kind of thing still 
is going on and to hear Olaf Ashanu kind of say this is a major factor in his decision uh, to come back to Penn State. I mean, him, him, him declaring that he's returning, it absolutely disrupted all the projections across the board in for all these NFL draft it's analysts. It's kind of unheard yeah. of. Um, like nobody in their in their wildest dreams imagined that Fashano was going to stay at Penn well, State. No one expected that it was even a right, possibility. Right. We all just assumed, but but really, <laughs> he, he hadn't even had a full season to start for Penn State, or you know, at all. So there's a lot of his own development that I think he knows that he can get out of this. Um, but also, the kid's just 19, and he's still still a college kid, right? <laughs> Maybe he just still wants to be a college kid. I, I you can't fault him for that either. I just I think it's funny. That's sort of how you know the warping of perspective that comes from the kinds of money that's involved with, you know, the totally. top levels of the NFL draft or and NIL. And of course and the there's portal all these and, people that are saying like, Oh, what a, what a dummy you you know, you get injured. You just lost, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And while that might be true, like that's not anyone else's decision to make, but his, that's his decision to make and his family's decision to make. And, you know, and, and quite frankly, I, I think that, you know, back when LeVar Arrington was, you know, highly thought of, you know, college football player and, you know, going to be potentially the number one overall draft pick. And he ended up being number two behind Courtney Brown that year. Um, Frank, or excuse me, uh, Joe Paterno advised him to, to, you know, go on. Like that was the right call for LeVar. But, you know, and, and, I, there's a chance that Franklin also maybe advised uh, Olu Fashano to to go on. I think Joe would have advised Olu Fashano to go on. That's that's generationally you know shifting money, but you know ultimately it's da- it's down to that you know Olu's you know him and his family's decision. And as a fan, you know it's exciting. And as a fan, I also hope it works out for him to go on to the NFL uh, as similarly high ranked, um, if not higher. I mean, he may be a number one overall pick if he has if he re- if even if he just replicates what he did in his nine games this year for next year. So. Anyways, exciting. Yeah, of course. If the if the world were a fair and just place, uh, Alu would go on to have a tremendous season. Penn State would end up going into the playoff. Uh, he would, you know, be the first round and you know first choice of the LT off the board in the draft. And you know, it would everything would work out great. And we know that's not always how it works out. You know, and you certainly have seen players opt to come back and end up not having a great. Uh, you know, final season or get injured or whatever. Um, you you want everything to work out just perfect, but you know, I we don't know what the future holds. I, to me, I just think that this decision reveals something really important about Penn State, also about the type of character that a guy like Olaf Fashano has. You know, ultimately, even if you make multiple millions of dollars in professional football, you got to have something that that takes you beyond that. And you can see already that, um, Olofashano and wanting to finish his degree and start a master's, he's already thinking beyond, you know, the fame and fortune of football. And, and that I think bodes this well is, for his character. This is, and his I'm going to close on this thought with Olu and, and at least him sticking around Penn state. This dramatically changes, you know, 
what the opportunities for the offense and offensive line and, you know, Drew Aller and Penn Heck State yeah. as a whole. It dramatically changes. Uh, Nick Singleton it, and yeah, Patron exactly. Allen. It just dramatically changes <laughs> you know? what the outlooks are, you know. And speaking of the portal, if we lost Olu, you better believe we're going hard in the portal for, uh, like, a top-shelf offensive lineman. And not that we won't go hard for a, an offensive lineman in the portal, but, like, that would be a great need to to you know replace a, a a left tackle of that caliber whether they come from within the current um you know roster and then we got to replace that guy from the other side or what you know who it just changes things big time and and it changes how the staff uh, attacks the portal um and you know uh, other high profile players that are that are that are um not returning are Joy Porter Jr. is um you know declared for the draft. He will not be playing uh in the bowl game and uh, you know that's his decision and we all respect that and we all you know applaud and um appreciate what he's done for Penn State over the last couple of years. He's had a great career and we hope that, that he goes on and has a great NFL career and gets drafted highly and all that. Christian Veyer, our third string quarterback, has also entered uh, the transfer portal. That is kind of something that was to be expected, at least of one of our quarterbacks behind Drew Aller. Um, so other than that, there will be more movement um, in the portal and with potentially guys not you know potentially opting out of the the Rose Bowl but that those are the big names as of right now um and I think we have a couple more things we want to discuss with regard to the to NIL and the portal um yeah I mean I guess the big question is like you know what with a portal opening today what do you think the positions that Penn State's really going to be looking at you mentioned left tackle if Olafashano leaves well guess what he's coming back but what are those areas of need that that you see um i have a couple of thoughts on that as well but what what do you think in that you you hope Penn State you know adds to our um uh, you know our resources adds to our skill level adds to our depth um, well wh- where do you hope they really well, i think we all hoped that mitchell tinsley would be a, a a lot better um addition to our offense than what he was at least statistically and i'm not taking anything away from mitchell tinsley whatsoever it did just, it just he wasn't plug and play like we were hoping as far as like you know filling the void of Jahan Dotson and not to compare him to Jahan Dotson, but like, that's what we lost. And that's what we, that, that kind of production is something we were trying to, you know, um, <laughs> recreate with, with, uh, you know, either the, the younger guys that were coming in through recruiting classes or in the portal. And it just didn't work out. Nobody really took the mantle. Yeah, definitely. Our wide receiver performance of, of the entire yeah. offense, I think was, we said this last yep. episode um, it was sort of the area that that underperformed expectations, yep. and like for me, I feel like, and I, I know da- Jahan Dotson wasn't necessarily a guy with, uh, you know, breakaway top end speed, but I, between his route running and his and his speed, hands, his he hands was able to as well, and his hands, but like where Penn State was really missing the boat, what were those, you know. 25, 30, 40 yard passes get getting open um, or at least open enough, you know, with the, the hot Jahan Dodson's hands, you know, Dahan Johnson. That's what I, <laughs> I, I remember having this problem last season. <laughs> Every yeah. time we said his name, it took me a while I to get back in the habit. But anyway, I, I really feel like getting a receiver in and maybe it's, you know, Trey Wallace, um, uh, you know, moving up the depth chart. Maybe it's Amari Evans moving up the depth chart, or maybe it's a guy in the transfer portal, but we're really missing 
that component. Well, we, well, in we kind of hoped it was going to be Malik our, our Nega after core, seeing a guy him that can in the the bowl game have that long touchdown where he broke away. Uh, was it in the was in the? I'm sorry, was it in the bowl game or was it? I think it was yeah, in the last you're right. game of I'm the sorry, year. You're correct. Um, but he never really took the mantle this year, and maybe he's a guy that transfers too. Who knows? Right. So we will definitely be seeking. Uh, at least one wide receiver in the transfer portal, and I'm not gonna like this. This and hopefully like a big name. I would love to have. Um, who is that guy from Pitt that ended up Jordan the Addison? USC, the Jordan yeah, Addison, the Blitnikoff Award winner. I would love to get someone like well, that. So there's a couple of you guys know. that are out there that we're being linked to. A guy out of the University of Southern Florida. Uh, Jim, his name is J- uh, Jimmy Horn Jr. He's sort of a KJ Hamler type uh, speedster. Um, then there's the a former Penn State commit. There's Deonta, or I, I might be saying his name incorrectly, but um, uh, Deontay Thornton. Uh, he's a sophomore wide receiver at Oregon. He's entered the transfer portal. And there's a couple of other names that are starting to be linked to Penn State, at least as targets. We're not going to break them all down here today or tell you all about them we're just you know we know Penn State ha- has you know put in offers on some of these kids and we're hopeful to get at least one you know wide receiver in the portal the other um uh, position groups that are are of need are defensive line and more, more importantly defensive tackle we are losing PJ Mustafer yeah I was gonna say PJ yep. Mustafer leaving you know for um Lack of eligibility. That's a major yeah. gap for us. I mean, for we sure. got D'Angelo, um, is An- Angelo, sorry, and uh, oh, what was his name? The guy, the defensive tackle out of um, uh, Duke last year. We he came in, Derek Angelo, Tangelo. That's it, Derek Tangelo. <laughs> Go get it I may have it wrong even still. <laughs> Derek but, but Tangelo. He, he actually could have taken another year to play with us this year. Uh, and he went on it to to you know seek the NFL and he did not get drafted. And I don't even think he's on a roster. So the long story short, he was actually good for us, but he did, you know, we, we might be looking for somebody who could like play more than a couple seasons uh in the portal because you know, these guns for hire for one season don't really help the long-term progression of these position groups. Uh, and even, you know, even if it is one season, it does help shore up some, um, you know, the, the, the rotation quite a bit. Cause we obviously rotate a lot of players on the defensive line. Um, but we will definitely be looking for a defensive tackle of some sort. I don't think defensive end is going to be of great need. Um, but then the final, if we're, if we're, if we're saying here are the top three position groups of need in the portal, the last would be offensive line. Um, just for, from a, um, a like depth standpoint and talent standpoint, you know, we're, I think we're going to have five really good guys come back or five really solid guys come back, uh, from, from either a starting position to our, you know, depth providers. There will be guys on the current roster that will be back next year and shoring up the, the O line. But I think we'll need some, some more, um, some more depth. We do have some guys coming into this current draft class, 2023 draft class, that will help with our depth. But those guys, uh, Jevin Williams and Alex Berkmeyer, I think is his name, Birchmeyer, um, they will not be uh, they will not be asked to start unless you know all hell breaks loose and it's a it's a injury situation. So those are the top three, um, and we I'm sure there's going to be one yeah, or the- two from another position group that are going to happen. You know, maybe running back. Obviously, we're losing uh, Kaziah Holmes. Uh, we might lose Kevon Ke- Lee to the portal there's speculation about that so we still might be looking for depth at the running back position because you're always one injury away from needing the next guy up right yeah i i'd say the the area that for me 
is one that you might want to look to a transfer portal situation for would be the defensive sure, secondary. Of course, always looking you know, there. between losing Joey Porter Jr. and Jair yep. Brown, especially if you can pick up top level talent. Um, I, I don't know a lot about the guys that are like second and third on the depth chart and whether or not they are going to be able to replace Joey Porter Jr. and Jair Brown. But I, to me, I think, you know, this defense has thrived on having a secondary that is highly skilled, highly capable, very physical, and also, you know, can shut down um, a, an air attack. And um, well, if we take a step back in the defensive secondary, I think that would be a potential problem. So um, I, I'm looking for, you know, potentially to have, have, you know, someone come in via transfer well, uh, for the defensive to, secondary to your point as well. There, Andy, I think you're correct. Replacing JPJ is going to be hard, not necessarily from a depth standpoint. We have good guys at corner that are, you know, Kalen King's performing well. Johnny Dixon looks great, um, at least in relief of Joey Porter Jr. when he's been hurt. I mean, he he has not been he's he was hurt during um kind of subpar competition in the final three four games um so it's not like we missed him that much but against elite level competition you know we're going to be playing you know Ohio State Michigan next year again so replacing that length and that and that talent level just this morning Penn State offered a kid out of Alabama, Kyrie Jackson. He's six foot three. Joey Porter Jr. is that long, lanky, you know, um, cornerback that that we having like not having that type of body on the outside for us. We'll probably see that, you know, miss. We'll probably miss that on the outside next year if we don't replace that somehow. So this Kyrie Jackson kid, let me just paint you with a little picture on on what what his he's 6 foot 3, 197 pounds. That's almost a Joey Porter Jr. replica. But here's where Joey Joey Porter Jr. was kind of an unheralded recruit. Um not that he didn't have offers, but he wasn't like a 4 or 5 star, 4 star, 5 star guy. And some some recruiting uh outlets had Joey Porter Jr. as a 3 star. But this kid in the 2021 class he was the number four overall recruit in the country. He was the number two cornerback. He was Whoa. the number two um, player out of Maryland. So, I mean, he back in 2020, before... Why is he in the transfer portal? Because he hasn't know? been playing a lot. For whatever reason, he's stuck in the depth chart behind, you know, uh, the other guys that are ahead of him, and uh, he just hasn't broken out onto the scene yet. Um, I think he only has 14 tackles as an Alabama Alabama player so far in his career. I, I kind of put a jotted down a little bit about him. Um, he, I think, I forget what happened to this kid. Um, but he, I think he came out of a couple of community colleges before co- going to uh, Alabama. Uh, and he, in the 21 games he played for for the Crimson Tide, um, he he only yeah he only has 14 tackles. I think is what I I have here. So he's he was the number one junior college corner. So as far as before his his Bama days. So there's a lot to like about the guy, but I don't know the whole story on the guy, why he went to community colleges before um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. We'll see if, if, it, if it works out for this guy. You know, We'll see about the whole portal in regards to Penn State. We'll probably break it down more after our bowl game, I imagine. But um, it's certainly going to change the landscape in college football. There's a, <laughs> apparently, allegedly, three and a half to 4,000 players entering the portal this offseason. I mean... Uh, that that's chaos. I, I, you know, I can imagine if that is real and true, uh, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to get some follow-up reporting on that and see, you know, if it's actually verifiably true. But like, 
I, that's enough chaos that I'm sure the powers that be in college football will say that can't happen again. <laughs> you know, that like there's no that's rules. just insane. There's no rules. I don't blame the coaches for for complaining about this. You know how what what the the NCAA has done nothing to to shore up so far and done nothing to prevent uh, in any way that, until the you know the what is it the Supreme Court had to step in. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not that I'm against having no. players you know, ha- have the opportunity to transfer, but like similar to the NFL where you've got like free agency and you've got certain windows and you've got certain rules and everyone has sort of a, a sense of the, uh, y- y- you know, the guidelines of how you make it work. And, uh, you know, both the players and the teams have, uh, an opportunity to, you know, have their best interests protected or at least balanced. There's nothing like that in college football. It feels really much more like the wild, wild west where it's just like, you know, only the strong survive, you know, and, uh, you know, all right. It'll be interesting to see if this is sustainable. I, I suspect that it won't be in the meanwhile. Um, you know, it's interesting that the culture that Franklin has been creating and, you know, with this new collective that's coming up, um, you know, is there going to be the structure to support high level players and then the culture to keep them? That could be a meaningful recipe. Well, but well, look at um, this. You know, as we're seeing, look at this, Andy. Cade McNamara is heading to Iowa. DJ Ugalele, uh, if I'm pronouncing right. his name correctly, you know, was has been starting for two and a half years or more to, at Clemson, and he just declared his he's transferring for his final final season, uh, final senior season. Um, he's leaving Clemson, um, and you know, players or coaches like Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, Deion Sanders are all at new schools. They're going to be trying to get guys out of the portal to totally, totally rewrite the. Yeah, they're trying to get te- guys off their team so they can, yeah. uh, you know, make room for guys that they want to yeah, bring I mean, in. And, and so Matt Rule is going to be, is, is the new head coach in Nebraska. Luke Fickle's the new head coach up at Wisconsin. And Deion Sanders. By the way, Graham Mertz announced. Oh, right. Graham Mertz he's announced he's going to the portal. So, and Deion Sanders, right. you know, here I am in Colorado, just down the road. I'm already looking at possibly getting season tickets to the CU Buffs um, to <laughs> only $150 deposit to, to secure at least a chance to get season tickets. Um, he can't, dude. Watch the greatest show I mean, on again, turf, the, huh? CU Boulder's just, you know, 30, 40 minutes up the road from me here. And just last night, Deion Sanders is in front of, you know, in the team the team room, you know, in front of the whole, he's wearing his, his new Colorado Buffalo gear he's in front of the whole team and he says hey you know to, to, to um you know make short of his his quote that he had um he's basically saying i'm bringing luggage with me and it's louis as in louis vuitton as in his luggage is going to be high highly rated you know uh, players from the portal which are probably players from other great teams and his own jackson state team and he's bringing them in and then he said on top of that so if you're thinking you know you're going to play you might want to be thinking about hitting the portal he's told there's a first meeting he had with his brand new team and he's telling them you might want to think about hitting the portal cuz i'm bringing in you know my louis vuitton players <laughs> Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. That's that's this new the new landscape in a nutshell right there. You could say these and and listen, if those are within the rules of, of actually playing, you know, coaching and, and you you know playing within the rules, I get it. Okay, this is what this coach is trying to do to to rewrite the script for a one and eleven team. But man, is it just like you said, the wild, wild west, and it is kind of a bad look in a lot of ways. 
I mean, yeah, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, is this actually better for players? Uh, maybe some players, maybe the oh, good players. Oh, here, let players, me rephrase that for you. You know, is this better for students? Yeah, I mean, it just I didn't realize that DJ Uyunglele like that. This is his senior season. I mean, schools do not let you transfer. Uh, you know, a, an un, yeah, a limitless you number of freebie. credits. You can only you can only transfer like. 20, 30% of your credits from another school. So DJ Uyengalele is going to be, you know, this close to graduating from Clemson. Now, maybe he'll actually go ahead and graduate first and he'll be a graduate transfer. But if he hasn't graduated from Clemson, he's got to enroll at his new school and he's going to enroll and basically lose all of his credits from Clemson or not all of them, but, you know, maybe half of them. And that, that does not put him on a track to actually get a college degree. Correct. <laughs> you no, know? uh, oh, I mean, is Clemson kicking him out? Uh, maybe, maybe not. You know, is is he making this choice for himself because he wants to be able to play, and you know, he's going to just deal with the consequences? That's fine. But you know, I just don't know that this is this is really healthy. And, and James Franklin's you know kind of point about you know this really hasn't taken into consideration the the academic needs of students is really important. And again, as we've said. NCAA should be involved in this and they've completely abdicated, completely abdicated any responsibility and creating some pathways and guidelines that actually help students in, in this regard. Hey, real quick, so, and I just want to like make a correction I, to something I said. Uh, uh, one is my, yes, the Alabama do. defensive back. Those were his JUCO uh, recruiting rankings, not overall high school recruit rankings. I apologize for the, the confusion there. He was the number four overall um, recruit in the JUCO recruiting rankings. Uh, but I also, a little update on top of that, um, wide receiver Dante Cephas out of Kent State. Penn State has just offered him a scholarship uh, out of the portal. Uh, he's from Penn Hills out of Pennsylvania. Uh, he has, uh, in two uh, two or three seasons, I, I have to get some more info on him, has over 2,000 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns as a member of the Golden Flashes. Breaking yep. news. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> um, anyway, um Back to the back to the portal stuff. You know, this is another uh, a rant we could get on. I, um, I just I think it's I think it's going to be something we're going to want to keep an eye on, and and I do worry that it's the sort of thing that will really change the character of college football that we've come to love, in which more and more you don't get relationships with players. You don't, players don't get relationships with coaches and sure. schools. They just end up being guns for hire. And, and that's really not what ever, what college football has ever been about. It's not to say that there can't be some positives. Well, and on the, to that note, you know, positives, Chop Robinson has said multiple times this year via his social media that the, coming to Penn State has been the best decision of his life, and he doubled down on it multiple times uh, on social media throughout the season. And they, they, that that's, you know, that's what you want when you... Certainly, from the perspective of a player who's in a yeah. school that's not a good right. fit, that... that you know, because of course, as you've said many times, we've all said these are 18, 19, 20 year old uh, young men. And um, you go someplace and you think it's going to work out and it doesn't. And to feel like you're stuck there, you know, and you have no way out. And people with a lot of power over you have all the say so in your life. That's not a very good position to be in. You know, four years of your life at that time is like, 
a quarter of your life. It's 20% of your life at that age. And so, you know, who wants to give away four years of their of their life to a, a place that's a bad fit? So it's not all bad, but, but the financial interests and the opportunity and ability to take advantage of kids, I think, is still... Um, it's still ripe for abuse uh, until we uh, until we find some ways, I think, to to regulate it and uh, create some some ground rules, um, you know. And ultimately, you know, who's going to protect the character of college football? I don't know. It's 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 up for grabs right Certainly. now and um, something to keep an eye on. Uh, last thing I just wanted to say is like I just wonder how Iowa's going to feel to actually have a competent quarterback for once. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Assuming Cade McNamara could be competent. Well, he's still going to be coached by Brian Ferenc or Ferenc, however you pronounce that <laughs> That's name. That's true. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he took he took Michigan to the playoffs last year. So, you know. He's certainly more competent Spencer than, Petrus than the, the two guys, you know, Padilla and, uh, uh, of course, Spencer Petrus. Uh, Petrus, Petrus. Petrus. I don't know how yeah. to pronounce these, these guys. Anyway, just a little... A little Iowa yep. doc to close things up. Um, I think this is about it sure. for us today. Um, I want to let you know what what's coming up f- uh, for everyone. Um, we've got two more episodes in this season, um, and they'll both be a few weeks from now um, around the bowl game. So we're going to have a pre-bowl episode that will air sometime the week before the bowl. Um, we'll do... Um, of course, previewing um, Utah and the bowl game. But I think what we uh, are also going to do um, before we get into that um, uh, preview in that same episode is we're going to do a season review and get everyone back in the mode of what kind of season did Penn State have. We'll look at the games, um, look at the season themes, look at the stats, and then we'll talk about Utah. Um, that's the episode before the bowl game. And then after the bowl game, uh, we'll give you the, the recap of the game. We'll talk about all the stuff, uh, that happened in the game. And then we'll conclude with sort of our off season look ahead, kind of looking at what, um, you know, the off season looks like in a, in an early glimpse at, um, the following season. So that's, what's coming up. If you have some mailbag questions for us, um, for those final two episodes, feel free to write in. We'll make sure we keep checking our email and uh, we'll bring those in again. If you have any suggestions for us, any, uh, comments, um, uh, critical or otherwise about the uh, podcast in general, as Tom and I start looking at our off-season planning, please feel free to send those our way as well. Um, until then, I um, really thank you for listening. And uh, bro, it always starts with I and love it you. it ends with I love you. You seem distracted. I always am. <laughs> Does it really end with I and love you? it ends you? with I love you. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I yeah. thought so. <laughs> All right, bro. Uh, hey, uh, we'll talk in a couple weeks on the podcast. And until uh, then, we are Penn State. Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 